Humans. Hello, hello, hello. Good Monday morning to you. Welcome to Ellie 2.0. This would be Ellie saying that.、Um, on Ellie 2.0, as you may recall, I talk about my practical idealism. I talk about idealism in generally.、Um, generally, we've stopped using the words idealist or idealism, and my goal is to change that. To get those words back into our everyday vocabulary in this year of 2018. This show has two parts an A slot where I talk about idealists, somebody who is idealistic, and then a B slot where I talk a little bit about my work as an idealist and,、um, and, and how I'm interfacing with the world because I have a, I have a business where I, I go out and I train on. Human inclusivity, and where I meet a lot of different people who are like minded, but sometimes people who are not.、Um, I want to preface that this show is taped, and that makes my ability to talk about things on the ground in real time far more difficult, far more challenging. And,、um, and sometimes you're going to get from me some stale news, although I think this story I'm going to talk to you about is never going to get stale, not for a long time. And so, what I want to talk about for my A slot, about the slot about idealists, some, somebody else who's idealistic, I want to talk about the Florida students, the Florida high school students, what I'm going to call the student movement, in response to the Valentine's Day shooting at the Marjorie Stone Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. I want to talk about those students. And I know you've been, by the time you hear this, you've been hearing a lot about them. Um, and as I tape this show, I am taping it on、uh, February 22nd, just eight days after the shooting,、um, eight days after the horror that took place at that school. Now, that shooting, in which 17 people were killed, 14 students and three adults, I think all three were teachers,、um, that shooting happened on a Wednesday. By Saturday, that would be the 17th of February, the survivors of the shooting, and I always use the word survivor. I don't believe in victims. I mean, obviously, people are absolutely victimized. And in this shooting, so many were. Hun you know, hundreds of students were victimized, either directly by being、uh, shot、um, or wounded. Murdered or wounded, or、um, through emotional trauma. But I believe in the phrase survivor because people do survive things. And when you survive, that makes you somebody、um, to be highly, highly respected. All right, at any rate,、um, by Saturday the 17th, the survivors of the shooting were calling for an assault rifle ban. <clears throat> And I don't want this to be about guns. I believe in the Second Amendment. I also believe that it's not absolute. I don't want to get into that discussion. What I want this to be about is the idealism of those students. That idealism forged out of tragedy, out of horror. And one of those students, Emma Gonzalez, is somebody that、um, I want to highlight. Now, we have seen, I am not, I'm not kidding you, I have seen so many. So many、um, of these students on television giving interviews and speaking far more eloquently 
than I could ever do, and certainly far more eloquently than most of our elected officials. Um, but on February 17th, Emma Gonzalez, this, you know, lightning bolt of a human um, who uh, stood before a crowd and gave a speech that lasts maybe about 12 minutes. And I, I would urge you, <clears throat> if you've not heard her speech, I would urge you to go and find her speech online. All you have to do is Google Emma Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z, -E speech. That's all you have to do is Google that, and it will come up. You know, um, if you've seen the speech, go back and watch it again. And there are a couple of things in that speech that I want to just highlight of what she says. I'm going to give you a long quote, and I know it's very it's difficult to do on the radio when you don't have something to read along, but just bear with me. Here is in part of what Emma Gonzalez said on February 17th. Quote, We are going to be the kids you read about in textbooks. Not because we're going to be another statistic about mass shooting in America, but because, just as David said, we are going to be the last mass shooting. Just like Tinker v. Des Moines, we are going to change the law. That's going to be the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in, the text, in that textbook, and it's going to be due to the tireless efforts of the school board, the faculty members, family members, and most of all, the students. The students who are dead, the students still in the hospital, the students now suffering PTSD, the students who had panic attacks during the vigil because the helicopters would not leave us alone, hovering over the school for 24 hours a day, period, unquote. Powerful, incredibly powerful, eloquent, smart words. And what I think was so incredibly smart about this is that she... You know, this is not about her. She gives, she tells the world that the school board, the faculty members, the family members, that they are all powerful forces, that they, that they deserve credit for what change is coming, and that this is going to be a unified effort. It's not a bunch of crackpot students going off and marching down a street with some placards that they've created. She goes on in her speech, and it's just... an. Again, it's, a, it's an incredible speech. If you are an idealist, it's a speech that grabs you and won't leave you alone. But she goes on to say some, uh, another thing, and I'm going to quote one last quote from her. And here we go. Quote, The people in the government who are voted into power are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and our parents to call BS. Companies are trying to make characters caricatures of the teenagers these days saying that all we want that all we are self-involved and trend obsessed and they hush us into submission when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nation we are prepared to call bs politicians who sit in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the nra telling us nothing could have been done to prevent this we call bs 
They say tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS. They say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. We call BS. They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS. They say no laws could have prevented the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about. That we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. Unquote. On February 20th, those students, including Emma Gonzalez, traveled 400 miles to the Florida State House in Tallahassee to vote for a vote to at least get on the docket in Tallahassee consideration of, a, of an assault ban bill. But even before all of the buses got to Tallahassee, there was a vote about denying that topic to come up even to get on the agenda for the legislature. There was a vote along party lines that denied considering such a bill. That vote was largely on party lines, 36 in favor of getting at least consideration of an assault, assault, assault rifle ban, 36 in favor and 71 against. We have students showing up on television, giving eloquent interviews. One dad even said his son was way better than him as a speaker. The reality is that these kids, these kids who on uh, the morning of February 14th, because the shooting happened about 3 o'clock, on the morning of February 14th, kids who were in class who, who had no idea and no inkling and no inclination to be doing anything about gun violence, those kids have turned into a political force in America. And the reality is they are leading us. They are leading you and me. They believe in the power to change the system. They believe that passion and common sense will prevail. And they are scaring the NRA. The kids are starting to be criticized and there are being false claims made about the kids as student actors. And in the end, isn't this what it's all about? That teaching our kids about democracy and teaching them about the power of everyone to have a say. Isn't it about uh, getting people motivated on March 14th, there'll be a 17-minute uh, walkout for schools across America to represent um, a, a month from the shooting and 17 victims, 17 dead. And on March 24th, they're organizing a march in D.C., um, for, which I have no doubt is going to attract hundreds of thousands of people. And remember, this isn't just some group of 17-year-olds. They are survivors of a mass shooting in which 17 fellow students and teachers died. That is what makes it difficult, and that is what makes it so incredibly powerful. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism that all of us have for a longer, better life, one that's more inclusive. When we come back, I'll talk a little bit about stuff that I've done. Thank you. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. 
Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, it's Tom inviting you to the Blue State Ball VIP reception on Saturday, March 10th at the Blaisdell. VIP starts at 5.30, where you can meet and take selfies with me, Norman Goldman, and other AM950 hosts. The reception is a hosted bar with butler past hors d'oeuvres, great music from Paul Metza, and signed book giveaways. Then stick around for general admission at 7. So come mingle with me, Norman Goldman, and other AM950 hosts during the Blue State Ball VIP reception. VIP tickets are at am950radio.com. I'll see you at the Blue State Ball. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at eatlocalminnesota.com. I'm Adam Jennings and I approve this message. Some people say weapons don't kill people, people kill people. But if that were the case then we wouldn't care if North Korea had nukes, would we? You ever think about that? Let's get real. Each year, gun violence hurts nearly 50,000 Americans, including 4,000 kids. And while some politicians act like tough guys, they're too chicken to stand up to the NRA who gave Eric Paulson an A-plus rating, along with a check for $20,000. He's working for them, not us. I think any congressman who has an A-plus rating from the NRA has the blood of these children on their hands. NRA, give me an F, because I believe in fighting for kids, not cash. I believe our politicians should show the same courage as the kids, teachers, and first responders showed at Parkland, Sandy Hook, and countless others. It's time for a Congress that fights and runs towards danger and not away from it. Join me at JenningsForCongress.com. Thank you. Paid for by Adam Jennings for Congress. Welcome back to AM 950 and LE 2.0, where I'm not afraid to call myself a practical idealist and where I talk about how together, with that word being so important, we can make this world a better place. We've talked, I talked um, a little bit ago, um, the first slot about our idealistic students, and I thought that I would talk a little bit about me as an idealistic student. Not that it's all about me, I understand that. But you know we are a society of storytellers and story listeners, and it really it is through our stories that we learn. We, we really learn about how to navigate the world through stories of others who have navigated the world. So, I was a college student in um, the mid-1970s. Um, so, we're right off the heels of the anti-war movement. And, and by the way, the anti-war movement, it was students. 
it was students in the late 60s and in the early 70s. That would be mainly college students, but some high school students. It was students that caused this country to change course on Vietnam. It did. It, it was that group of people. So I found myself as a college student really at the tail end of all of that. I mean, the protests were over, you know, the war, um, the war ended in my senior year of, uh, of high school. I mean, it literally ended in, in, a in um, uh, April of 1975. And so I went off to college and uh, in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I attended Coe College in Cedar Rapids, small liberal arts school. I grew up in Cedar Rapids, went to college in my hometown, lived on campus, and um, beginning in my uh, sophomore year of college, I got a part-time job as a pretrial release interviewer. Now, what pretrial release is about is it is an alternative to bail bonds, to bail bondsmanship. So, um, historically, when people are arrested, um, they would have to contact a bail bondsman, somebody who would provide bail for people who were in jail. They would put up money or a bond um, to secure the appearance of somebody to return um, to court for further court adjudication. Um, but beginning in the late 60s and the 70s, there was a movement to understand that maybe that was not very effective because many people couldn't afford um, bail bondsmen, and they ended up languishing in jails. Then they would lose their, they would lose their jobs as a result. Their families would suffer all kinds of things. So they created this thing called pretrial release, where um, the court would consider factors in terms of stability: whether somebody had a job, whether somebody had ever had a prior record, whether somebody had somebody at home to, to um, um, be there for them, whether they had a substance abuse issue, whatever. So they created this program where people could be released from jail essentially on their own word. I was an interviewer. I was somebody who would go into the jail in Lynn County. So we are talking a jail at that point had to have been 70 or 80 years old. I mean, we are talking a place where I learned a great deal about humanity. I would go into the jail and I would actually, with clipboard and pen and paper and form in hand, I would interview people be between the bars. So on the other side of the bar would be the person who had been arrested, and then it would be me. I would, um, and for a college student, this was a pretty good gig because during the week um, I would um, be in the courthouse next door to the jail and and waiting to get a call that somebody had been arrested. But if they weren't, I could do my I could do my homework. I could do my I could study. Um, but on the mornings of the weekends when it was really I had to be there. I had to be there at six in the morning to interview people. And that was uh, quite a challenge some mornings when I'd been out um, with my friends until two in the morning. At any rate, I learned a lot about humans. And I, in, in the end, interviewed everybody from drunk drivers to murderers. The jail was operated by the county sheriff, as many jails are. And, um, and I got to know the deputies who staffed the jails and the dispatcher who was also, um, because, uh, 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 cars were dispatched from the jail. I got to understand um, law enforcement culture. I got invited to their parties. I would get invited out to drinks. I was a likable person. Bear in mind, I'm transgender, so back at this point, I'm presenting as a man. Um, and uh, that would uh, allow me some more privilege than if I presented as female. Um, I found that law enforcement people are good. They're good people. 
I also found that many of them were sexist, and, an, and I also found that many were intolerant of people who constituted quote-unquote other. Um, while I was doing that gig, and I did that for two and a half years before I, up till the time I graduated from college, um, the jail hired a female deputy. I'm going to call her Jane. She was in her early 20s. I think she had just graduated from community college. This was her first law enforcement job. And I got to know Jane. I also, I got to know her at the jail because she was a jailer. Um, I also got to know her at social events. One day she asked if she could meet with me and another pretrial release worker outside the jail. Um, we met for drinks. And at that time she told me about a regular pattern of beatings and abuse that were going on at the jail that, that deputies were engaging in um, with people who had been arrested. Um, this, I remember that this was, I mean, she broke down crying, I remember that, telling us about this, and she asked for my help and the help of my colleague. Now, I mean, I'm just a college student. My colleague was just a college student. We had no power. Um, and she wanted to remain confidential. She did not want to become a whistleblower, even though in that in the mid seventies the word missile the phrase whistleblower hadn't even been invented. So my colleague and I did not know what to do. We considered going to our managers for our organization, but we didn't think that that would work. Um, and we feared that um, we'd have to reveal Jane's name, and that was not something that we wanted to do, nor was that something that she wanted to do. I started paying more attention to things that were going on at the jail, <clears throat> to words that were being used, to things that um, deputies or jailers would say afterwards. And in the process, I figured out who was hard and who was soft. On, um, you know, this went on for several months. I, I certainly started uh, watching Jane more. I could see how it was affecting her. And I really didn't know what to do. I mean, at this point, I am, what am I? I am probably not even, I'm 24 years old. And so I did something that I really felt was the only thing that I could do. And that was, I called the Des Moines Register. You know, and, and in Iowa, the Des Moines Register is a statewide newspaper. It's certainly the most prestigious paper in the state. And I ended up speaking to a reporter. I told him about things that were happening at the Lynn County Jail. I told him that prisoners were being abused. Um, I, I did give my name, but I asked that um, my name not be used, and the reporter had agreed to that. And then uh, I, I, I told him about um, this woman that I knew. I mean, I, I, I did not identify Jane. I, I don't even know if I said that she was a woman, because I probably would have been able to figure that out. But the, the reporter was very receptive to what I said. He spoke to me for a long time on the telephone. And, um, you know, I gave him some facts that could be verified. And I felt that that was about the best I could do. <clears throat> Sometime later, not very long, I think within less than a week, the Des Moines Register ran a story about the jail, about prisoner mistreatment. Um, I don't know where they got their other information, but they did. And frankly, where it went from there, I don't know. Um, I know that Jane stayed at the jail, and I know that she was appreciative that I had done that. You know, and in the end, I graduated from college and I went off to law school in Boston. But that experience, you know, and it's small, okay, 
um, you know, no medals, uh, you know, to be conferred for doing something like that. But the die was set at that point for me. And the key parts as I look back at that story, as I tell you, was that I was asked for help. Somebody actually asked me for help. And that I understood that the person asking me for help was a human. Also that she was credible. And then I tried to figure out how to make the system work. I tried to use my imagination. And, and frankly, in our country, the press is part of the system. The press actually is a resort, is a harbor, a safe harbor in my view, regardless of what people are saying about the press. I believe in journalism so incredibly much. But that the press is a safe harbor for when you don't understand where else to turn. And so I haven't been giving you much homework, and I'm going to give you a little bit of homework today, right now, before I end the show. And that is, first, ask yourself, are you aware of an injustice, something that's below the radar? And the second thing I'd ask you is this. Ask yourself, what are you doing about that injustice? What have you done to address it? Or have you just simply ignored it? And if you have ignored it, why? Well, there you go. That's another LE 2.0 show into the, into the can, as we would say. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the few transgender radio hosts in the world on LE 2.0 on AM 950. If you enjoyed the show, email me at LE 2.0 radio. That would be 2.0 radio, LE 2.0 radio at gmail.com. Let me know what you'd like, topics you'd like covered. Let me know what you like or what you don't like about the show. Tell others about the show. I'm trying to build an audience. Um, a big thanks to my producer, Eric Nelson, um, for helping, because Eric, you rock. And if you like what you hear, visit my website at ellikrug.com. I'll be back next week. Thanks so very much.